We are in Colossians. I'm still in the first chapter. We are in the 18th verse. Hopefully getting down to verse 22 today. Should the Lord say the same as Edna would always remind me. The word of God reads in the King James Version, Colossians 1, 18, 22. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in a body of his flesh through death to present you, wow, holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. May the Lord add a blessing and a reading to the reading of the word today. Uh, let me say to you, life is just too heavy at times, right? Life is just, walking through this earthly experience, it could just be really, really heavy. Um, we live in a day, in, in, a, in a time, not unlike any other time in history, but we are in those, what I would call those dips seasons, <laughs> where we're just slugging through this life, um, looking for hope. And by the way things are going, um, lately many people are depressed, many people are looking for answers, many people are fearful that things are only getting worse. And let me say this to you, Jesus makes no promises that they will not get worse. <laughs> I, I, I hate to, to, to bring truth to you in a way that, and I hope it doesn't depress you, but the bottom line is, is, is Jesus doesn't say it's going to get any better here. No, 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 not until he comes back, amen? So most people are trying to find a way to mentally escape the reality that they are living in and what we do at times is we plan for, you know, we, 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 we try to escape by planning for a future event. You know, prosperity later on in life. You know, we got folks going to the, to the liquor store and scratching off lottery tickets. You know, scratch offs. Trying to, you know, make things better. You know, future events. We mentally escape this reality by planning for a prosperous future. Or we, you know, we go out and get an education. You know, and, and through education or some, you know, new relationship. We try to look forward to a dream of a better tomorrow. When the truth is, there are no signs <laughs> that things are actually getting better. So your future finances from the lottery or your future relationship in your marriage or your future children that comes from that relationship are still going to be stuck on this really, really terrible planet. Things are getting bad. And honestly, in a, in a huge sense, they're getting worse. You know? And then there are many religions that offer solutions to this problem and they all seem to be saying the same thing. Every religion except for Christianity seems to be saying the same thing. And that is, you go get better so then life will be better. Right? You improve upon yourself in some kind of way so that your life will improve. But the one problem is, is that people are not getting better. <laughs> We're coming up with new versions of crazy. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, the... <laughs> It's like, wait a minute, no, no, let's, we were crazier then, and, and, and now I think we need to be even more crazy. And then we're going to make up laws that justify crazy. You know, we're going to legitimize crazy. I'm going to be crazy and get the government to agree with me and get a license for crazy. 
It's just getting crazier. People are not getting better. And the world isn't getting better. Here's the thing I'm trying to say. I believe that Christianity offers, offers the only real solution to this problem. The solution is not a concept. The solution is not an idea. The solution is not some new educational experiment. The solution is a person. And he's not a better version. He's perfect. The solution is Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Now, we've been in Colossians, the first chapter, for a little while. We've learned that Christ is supreme over all of creation. All of it. The things we can see, the things we cannot see, the angelic hosts, the demonic ranks. Amen? The demons. Amen? He's over that. Satan, you know, uh, had a time when he was supposed to obey God. He did not obey God. Amen. And there was a third of the angelic host that rebelled against God and they failed and they are now demons. Amen. 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 Jesus created everything. He even created them. Okay. Jesus created Adam. And Adam sinned. And now every human being, you and me, we are all born into that sinful rebellion. Amen. We have rebelled against God. I tell people all the time, if you don't think you're human to sinful, go visit a preschool. Watch the person who has the ball and see how they act when someone says they need to share. <laughs> it's like, you little sinful. <laughs> it's true. We're born in sin. It don't take two seconds for us to start sinning. Amen? Selfishness, is, it just comes right out. Right out the womb. We just selfish. Give me, give me, give me. Or else. I'm going to throw a tantrum right up here in this, in this hospital. Okay? That's how it happened. So, Satan sinned. The angels that followed him sinned. Human beings sinned ever since Adam born in sin. Jesus created it all. Proving that just because Jesus Christ made you does not necessarily mean that all of his creation obeys him. So, what did God do, thank you Holy Spirit, to deal with this problem of creation? Well, God sent Jesus, and Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. And that new creation is called the church. And that's my message this morning, Lord of the new creation. Amen? Lord of the new creation, that's the title. So, Colossians 1.18, if you have your Bible. And he, Jesus Christ, is the head of the church. Right? He is the head of the body. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. Christ came, hear me saints, hear me all the way in the back. Christ came to start the church not just to cancel the effects of sin. I want you to hear that. Christ came here. Amen? Yes, to die for sin. Yes, to rise from the dead. Yes, to pay for the penalty. Yes, we are grateful for that. But Christ also came, saints, not just to do away with the effects of sin. Christ came to start the church, the new creation. Amen? This is very key. Amen. Amen. Christ is the head of the church. Amen. Without the head, the body does not think straight. Amen. The body does not have the thoughts of Christ. The body does not function in the way that it's supposed to without the head. I've seen my children do things that make me wonder. You know, we've all done it. You know, we've been children and we've done things and your parents look at you like, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? I don't. My brother used to look at me like, boy! Obviously you're not using your head. Right? The church not only gets its thinking from Christ, Christ is the beginning. Christ is the head. 
Christ is the head of the church because the life source is flowing down from Christ into the body. So without the head, the church has no life. Just as with the human body, you cut off its head, it dies instantly. So it is with the church. Without Christ as the head, the church is dead. Are you hearing me? The holy life that the church lives on now and shall be living on for all eternity, if we get onto the new earth that David was talking about, it comes from the head. The head distributes holiness <laughs> to the body. Jesus Christ distributes holiness to his church. Are you hearing me? Therefore, if the church the church whose purpose, the church's purpose, which is to be holy, if it has no head, it has no holiness, then the church is dead indeed. Jesus is not just essential for Christ-like thinking, saints. Jesus is essential for church to have life, period. He is the life of the church. Are you hearing me? If you take a chicken and you cut the chicken's head off, the chicken will run around for about two seconds, aimless. But the chicken is not considered alive at the point when it loses its head. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Amen. The best that chicken can do is run around and stumble temporarily for a few seconds until it comes to a stop. It's literally dead. It's literally dead. It may look like it's alive, but it's not. Are you hearing me? Death has happened when you take off the head. The church must never function without its head. The church must never function without Jesus. It cannot function without Jesus. Also, Christ is the head of the church because the church needs its head because the head of the church is the unifier. The life, holiness, source of life that comes from Jesus Christ flows into the church in all the individual parts, which means you and I can get along when we're connected to the unifier. Jesus, the head, gives the church its unity. I think we ought to do this, Pastor. I think we ought to do that, Pastor. I think we ought to do this. I think we ought to be like this. I think we ought to sell backpacks. I think we ought to give lunches to people. I think we got to speak and get out there and do this. We need to come inside and pray. We can do all of that. The catch is, is will we be unified or fighting, you know, at each other's throats? Because we want to lead versus letting the hand lead. The body of the church, it needs its head. In a family, the way this works is if everyone is submitting to the head, the closer the husband and wife get to each other because they're looking at the head. When they start looking at each other, bites. Okay? Look at you, look at you, look at you, mess it up. You ain't right. Come here, come here, what I'm doing, I said. No, 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 no. <laughs> you got your eye on her instead of looking at Jesus. You know what I'm saying? This brother ain't doing his job. He ain't, he ain't doing his job. I just, I need him to come through. I need a man. You ain't being no man. Get your eyes off of him. Look at Jesus. What happened? Huh? Beauty. You get closer as it's looking at its head. So we are not truly connected to each other until we are connected to Jesus Christ as the head. We will not function properly in unity until we are connected with the head. And everything that's going to have life in a way that where it's going to be abundant has to come from Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is the head, meaning he is the chief, one to whom others are subordinate. Amen. The body of the church is subordinate to Christ. Jesus Christ is the head who is the beginning. Jesus is the originator of the church. He's the one that started the church. Amen. First, uh, John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus has the authority over the church, is the beginning of the church, is the start of the church. He was there at the beginning. Jesus is the word. Jesus is God. We're going to go into that in a minute. 
Revelations 1, 8 says this. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning. Amen. And the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. He is the Almighty. This proves that Jesus was always coming and he was not some afterthought of God to just fix sin. Jesus was always present with God. Are you hearing me? Jesus has always been here. He will always be here and he was always coming. Okay? God was not scrambling around to try to fix the sin problem and making adjustments at the last minute. Jesus is the head. He is the beginning. And, and the new creation was planned from the beginning. There was always going to be a church. Wrap your head around that. Jesus is the beginning of the church. He's the start of the church. He's not the afterthought. Oh, maybe we another. Oh, look at Adam and Eve. They're messing up. Maybe we should start a church. No. That's not what God, that's not what God did. Jesus was the one. He was there. Are you following me? His purpose was not just to fix sin. His purpose was also to start the new creation. And you're looking at each other when you see the new creation. The redeemed. Say so. <laughs> Hello, good morning, church. All right. He is the firstborn, a term that I've already mentioned before in previous verses. I won't go into that too much. But that just means he is supreme. Okay? He is not just in chron chronologically supreme or first as in being born. He is over, supreme over, over all that rise from the dead. Okay? Firstborn from the dead that he that in all things he may, he may have the preeminence. Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the one over everything. He is the one that has all the authority. John 11, 25, 26. John 11, 25, and 26 says this. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. He is supreme over all who will rise from the dead. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother had not died. He won't get up without me either. <laughs> Nothing gets fixed without me, sweetie. I am God. I am the resurrection. You know? And the life. The life that flows, not only here, but after here, will flow from Christ. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He is the Born of all that rise from the dead. He's basically saying, listen, in about a few days from here, I'm going to go that cross and prove to you that I am the resurrection. I'm going to get up. And because I get up, everybody else will get up. Everybody else that believes in me, everybody else that believes in me, everybody that puts their faith in me, will get up. Why? He is the firstborn, the starter of the church. He is the originator of the church. And he is also the sustainer of the church. You can go through hell. It doesn't matter because if you're in Jesus Christ, you're going to get up. Yeah. You're going to rise. <laughs> you're going to go through. I'm going to rise. Not even death can keep me. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Are you hearing? He is the resurrection. That in all things he may be, the, he may have the preeminence. The highest rank. The one that has all the influence. The one that has all the power. John 3.35 says, The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. Matthew 28 and 18, talking about making disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, he's basically saying that death is nothing to me. I have the preeminence. I have the power. I am supreme over everything. Why? The Father gave me that. No one goes above the Father. Me and the Father, we are one. That's what he's saying. I have been given all authority that he may have the preeminence. Amen. Amen. Verse 19. Colossians 1.19. Okay, here we go. This verse just messes me. The word of God says, 
For it pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, should all fullness dwell. Why is it important for us to come to church and just hear truth about who Jesus is? No, pastor, I've got things that I need you to handle. I need you to speak directly to my situation. Leave your situation outside for me. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We cannot just build our churches on situational situ- things because there's going to be another situation tomorrow. And another one after that. Thank you, Lord, for my deliverance. Now I'm in something else. Eventually, you're going to get tired of that rat race and go, I need something more. I can't just focus on me and my problem and my situation all the time. Tell me about my king. That's maturity. When we start going, wait a minute. Uh, all day outside, I was made to worship, and I need to know who I'm worshiping. And maybe if I get my mind off of myself, I might be okay. So tell me about my king. Let me worship my king. What are you saying here? For it pleased the Father that in him, who is Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. The Colossians had the same problem that we have today. What would have changed if you knew more about Jesus? What would be on your agenda if you knew more about Jesus? What would you relax about today if you knew more about Jesus? What would you be worried about if you knew more about Jesus? What would stress you if you you knew more about Jesus? Huh? Come on, come on. Let's think about this. What kind of sleep would you get at night? Oh! If you just knew more about Jesus. Well, here we go. The Colossians had the same problem that we have today. They said, well... I believe in God, Pastor. This is the point that he's trying to make here. But I don't think I have to believe in Jesus to be connected to God. Uh Uh-oh. I'm connected to God, but I'm not a Christian. Christian. I don't believe in Christ. I have a connection with God without Jesus Christ. You know, here's the thing that I used to run into in the 90s. Everyone was spiritual. People were just deep, just walking around snapping their fingers at themselves. <laughs> Did you know that? They're just deep. You know? Spiritual. I'm a very spiritual person. But I'm not a Christian. I don't serve Christ. I don't think I need Jesus Christ. I believe that there is a God. I believe that there's a higher power. He's just high and powerful. He's the power and the time. All this stuff. But I just don't think that Jesus Christ is the only way to have a relationship with God. I want to take whatever trip I want to to get to God. I cannot feel like I'm spiritual. You know, I just feel like it. Okay. I read a lot of books in college and now I'm spiritual. I study all kinds of religions and things and now I'm spiritual. I have a connection with God. Wait a minute. This verse here refutes all of that. There's two verses in Colossians, but this one right here, we'll start with this today and I'll give you the next one in just a minute. This verse gives a perspective that deals with all of that stuff that we run into. Whether you hear it coming from outside, because we, you know, we're real close to Berkeley. And there's some stuff going on in Berkeley. We're in California, and we're real close to Berkeley, and people just believe in all kinds of things. Am I, am I right about that, Rick? Okay, you walk down the university, you know, you, you, you better be saved. <laughs> it's like, what? You believe what? All kinds of stuff. And they feel good about it. But this verse answers all that. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Here's the thing, saints. God wanted his fullness, meaning the complete totality of God to live permanently in Jesus. Did you catch that? Paul is explaining to the Colossians here that Christ is God's dwelling place. Wrap your mind around. I'm going slow because I want this to sink in. Okay? Therefore, Christ is divine. Christ is sovereign. 
Christ is preeminent. Christ perfectly displays all the attributes and activities of God. God in spirit, God in word, God in wisdom, God in glory. What are you saying, Pastor? Translation. If you don't know Christ, you don't know God at all. Period. I feel spiritual. Are we talking about Jesus Christ? No. Well, in what spirit are we talking about? Are you hearing me? If you don't know Christ and all of God is in Christ, then you don't have any portion of God without Christ. Whatever version of God you are believing in, if it's outside of Christ, it's not God at all. It has to be something completely different than God. What are you saying, Jamie? Why do we need Jesus Christ? Because without Jesus Christ, you don't have any percentage of God at all. Because the fullness of God is in Christ. Uh, 100% fullness means 100%. That means nothing was missing. All God in Christ. Wow. Wrap your mind around that. Now, for those of us who are saved, this messes with our understanding of the Trinity. Because here's the thing. This is the mystery of God. God is God the Father. God the Father, God's Son, God's Spirit. Right? Jesus is God. Jesus subjected himself to God the Father. And no matter how much I want to put him in second place, he's really not. Jesus is still God and Jesus is not diminished as God in any way. Yet we still have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So just because my finite mind struggles to categorize God and put him in some fouling cabinet where I can understand him a little bit better, that does not take anything away from the fact that Jesus is God. So, here's the question. Who was really on that cross dying? Who really got up from the grave for you? Uh, is it sinking in yet? Huh? <laughs> and here's the thing that I trip off of. If my mind is blown away by this simple truth, and I'm just scratching my head going, I just don't get it, God. I don't know how you pulled all this off. But you put all of God in Christ, and Christ is God, and God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when you see him face to face in heaven? When we begin to understand even more and more who Jesus really is. When you can look at him, just like he said in verse 9, that, that was from, which was from the beginning. We touched him. We saw him. Our, our heads beheld him. Our eyes looked at him. Can you imagine who we're really dealing with? There's a disconnect. 
There's a disconnect. Here's the thing I want to say to you. Colossians 2 and 3, write this verse down. Because Colossians 2 and 3, just a little bit ahead, the next chapter, it says this. In whom, talking about Christ still, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If I had to pick a verse that sums up all of Colossians and, for that matter, all of the Bible, this would be it. Wow. Here's the thing. You are free to learn a lot of things. You are free to learn how to cook some chicken. And if you're black, that's good for you. Cook some chicken, learn how to do that and do it well. You are free to learn how to drive a car. You are free to, you know, take some course in biology. You are free to get a PhD. You are free to do all these things. But none of those things are absolute necessities. It says here, in him, in Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So here's the thing. You can learn all that other stuff, but if you really want to know what you really need to know, then the one person you have to study more than anything is Jesus Christ. This truth about Christ, everything you need to know, every, all the wisdom, all the knowledge is wrapped up in a person. This truth about Christ is, uh, is, is, is a truth that we must respond to. It requires a response. Knowledge of Christ is a truth that must never be ignored. If you want the best investment of your time on this planet, know Christ. You may not ever get whatever you're looking for. You may not ever achieve whatever goal that you think you're trying to achieve. You may not get to the things that you think you must have in life. But if you don't study Christ, you have nothing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He is the best investment of your time. If you know nothing but Jesus, you know everything else you need to know. Did you hear what I just said? Sam? Well, I don't know nothing about that. I'm not to change the tire. Do you know Jesus? Because when God uh, requires your soul. <laughs> it ain't gonna be about tires and degrees. You better know some Jesus. You better know some Jesus. Are you hearing me? It is knowledge that counts not by my standard. It is knowledge that counts by the standard of God. You hear what I'm saying? So knowing in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Specifically, knowing Jesus is good because in Jesus, that's where we find our forgiveness and reconciliation. We know what forgiveness is. We'll talk about reconciliation in just a second. Because reconciliation is only found in Christ. It is not, uh, it's not about you making yourself right. It's not about you fixing the situation. If you don't know Christ, then you're not right with God. Are you hearing me? So the next verse says in Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of Christ by him to reconcile all things to himself. Amen. Jesus made peace through his blood, which he gave and spilled out on the cross. By that blood, he reconciled all things to himself. Psalm 85 and 10. Write that down. Psalm 85 and 10. I love this verse. And I can't all, unpack it all day, but it says this very simply. Psalm 85 and 10 says this, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Whoa. I'm going to read that again. Mercy and truth are met together. This is Old Testament talking about what's coming. Talking about the Jesus that's coming. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. How did that happen? You should be shown up dead, shown up going to hell. How did that happen? Only one answer. Somebody reconciled you. Who is it? Who, who reconciled you? Jesus. I know the truth. I don't deserve any mercy. Jesus fixed that in the middle. And now I'm right with God. That is Psalm 85 and 10. In the Old Testament time, God accepted symbolic offerings. 
Jesus had not been sacrificed, so God accepted the life of an animal in place of the sinner, right? We know that. When Jesus came, he substituted his perfect life for our sinful lives, taking the penalty for sin, which we deserve. And then the penalty for sin, as we know, is death. We are guilty and we are culpable, but Jesus took the punishment. Amen. Thus, he redeemed us from the power of sin and not only gave us forgiveness, he gave us reconciliation. I can forgive you and be like, I'm done with you. I'm not keeping this on me. I got to get you off of me. I'm not going to let you ruin the rest of my life. You messed up with me. You betrayed me. You did me in. I'm done with you. Get to seven. That's not what Jesus did. For his church, <laughs> he not only forgave, he said, God, they cool now? Yes. He reconciled. Made us right with God. That means I'm not just forgiving you and dropping you. I'm forgiving you and carrying you. Woo! Are you hearing me, saints? By him I say, whether there things be on earth or things in heaven, he not only reconciled people, he re reconciled all of creation. Huh? Romans 8, 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travails and pain together until now. What are they waiting for? Not only they, but ourselves also, which are the first fruit of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to win the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for the adoption to win our bodies. We're waiting for the manifestations of the Son of God. What's happening? The creation even goes, something's not right. We're waiting on Jesus to fix this. Jesus is saying, I reconciled all of creation, all the people who are believing, back to God, made it right. And it's going to happen. We don't, we are on spiritual right now, but it, it, it's going to happen when he comes back. So every time there's a tsunami or an earthquake, huh? You know, a, a, a hurricane. You know, some terrible disaster. Pastor Paul, you know, have you seen this? <laughs> oh my goodness, he's coming back. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's my point I'm trying to make to you people. I imagine this is just me and my greatest mind. Bishop Hawking's mind. This is not what they're going to say. Don't take the job. But I imagine every time it's a shake up, that the earth is saying, Come on, Jesus. We tired of these people are messing up. How, how much longer, Jesus? Come on, come fix this. Every time it's a tsunami, every time there's an earthquake, every time there's you know, a hurricane, I just imagine the earth is saying, Come on, Jesus. Are you hearing? things in heaven and things on earth, things underneath the earth. This is a stab at the wicked theology of the Colossians are saying basically, you know, the demons are in charge and the angels are in charge and we're, you know, giving, you know, homage to all and paying, you know, uh, uh, giving our offerings, our sacrifices, all that kind of these demons. He's saying basically, no, no, no. All of heaven and earth Created beings, the planet itself, is all under the authority of Christ. Amen? Verse 21, real quick, I'm going to get done with this. And you that were sometimes alienating enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet hath he now reconciled, verse 22, 
in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameable and unprovable. Here's the thing. Titus 1 15 says this, everything is pure to those who are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their mind and consciences are corrupted. And then in Titus, I believe, is I believe it's the second chapter. Uh, it talks about for we are so sometimes foolish, disobedient, see, serving God with lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hurting one another. We were just evil. Couldn't fix it. Couldn't do right. Colossians 20, uh, 2 and, uh, 1 and 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Wicked works. Just evil. Things about us we just, we don't do right. He says he reconciles us. Brought us back to God in the body of his flesh through death to present us holy and unblameable and unprovable. So here's the thing. Long ago, after God rescued Egypt, I mean rescued Israel from Egypt, pulled them into the desert, told them to worship me on this mountain side. Right? God has him construct the sacrificial system in the tabernacle. And they leave with all these animals. They leave with all this jewelry. <laughs> completely shut down Egypt's economy. Take all the gold and build this tabernacle, this sacrificial system. And the reason why is because God wants to dwell with his people. And that, can, that caused a huge problem. Because the people were terrible. And God is another version of holy that we've never used. So we've got two entities living together. And they're carrying around the tabernacle. And they're sacrificing these animals and whatever have you because they're not right. And it says, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. There's this construction of the ark. And there's the two seraphims, and it's the atonement here. And he says, I live, and my presence is in the floating above the seat of atonement, above the ark. And told Aaron, his, his priestly uh, family, listen, don't just burn any kind of incense. Don't do things any kind of way. I'll kill you dead. You don't understand what I'm doing. I'm not So he told Moses to warn the family that's supposed to be the priest to go to him. To make sure you don't just come in to the tabernacle and come away. Because you don't know what you're doing. Don't just come worshiping any kind of way. Don't just, this will do God. No, 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 no. I'll kill you dead. This is heavy. Okay? And the church has lost sight of that. And because we've lost sight of where we came from, yeah. with the Jews, yeah. the public life, we have no understanding how to appreciate Jesus now. Yeah. Okay? So can you imagine, you leave your parents' house, you finally graduate high school, and you get an apartment in the same the lake. And you get all your stuff set up, and you're living there, you got your house where you want it, put your, you know, your stereo where you want it, some of us remember stereos. <laughs> You got, on, you got on the music and you open the door because you hear knocking door. And there's a floating cloud. <laughs> Just hovering in front of the door. And inside the cloud, you can see a pillar of fire. The fire is out, the cloud is. Knock the door, you open the door, and you hear a voice from one high. Hey, Jamie! This is God. I've come to live with you for a year. Got your face? 
Because we understand what Jesus Christ has done for us. We take it seriously. He's reconciled us back to God. To the point to where we even smell. <laughs> Are you hearing me? That's huge. I was about to ask what is the incense for? Because God can smell sin. That's real. Amen? Here's my point. Last point and we're done. All other religions say this. Some imaginary God tells you to fix yourself and people will be better and this world will be better. Jesus says something very different. Jesus says, I'm coming to you. I'm going to die for you. I am going to be perfect for you. Amen? I will fix you. Your biggest concern is whether or not you have hidden yourself in me. It's not about making this world better. Jesus will fix this world when he's good and ready. The question is, have you hidden yourself in the mercy of Christ? Amen? Your biggest concern is whether or not you are in relationship with Jesus Christ. But all of these things being placed under the authority of Christ, then how will we worship him? How must we worship him? 
Are we grateful that he has placed his enemies on his side? We were once his enemies. Are we grateful that he has placed people that were his enemies on his side? Huh? With all of this rule coming to Christ, with everything being under Christ, with Christ being the supreme. Huh? You don't want to be found outside of Christ when he returns. Amen? We were his enemies, but by grace, God has placed us in Christ and paid for our rebellion. Will you receive Christ's loving invitation today? Huh? Will you receive Christ's loving invitation today while you still have time? Is your salvation real? Is it just ceremony? Or are you really depending on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Huh? Jesus wants to be your Savior today because he's Lord and Savior whether or not you believe it or not. Okay? Come to Jesus while you still have time. And don't just be a part of the old creation. Be a part of the new creation and let him Lord over his new creation. Amen? Amen. Amen.